0: I talk to so many moms who say, Brooke, I want to pray for my kids. I just don't know how to start. That's exactly why I wrote my digital resource, How to Pray God's Word for Your Children. It's your how to guide, giving you a very short, simple, step by step process for how I first started praying God's Word. Download it right away, and I'm not joking, you'll be praying God's Word by this afternoon. All you need is a Bible, a notebook, and a pencil, or your phone, if you prefer, somewhere to create a short list. You can find that freebie in today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Proverbs 30, verse 8 says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Unfortunately, we live in a world where difficulties, abuse, and even betrayal happens on a daily basis. This Bible verse is perfect to pray for your children and yourself. Having walked through her own story of betrayal, Author Jennifer Lynn Heck knows firsthand the importance of this prayer. She writes about it in her book, Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace, available on Amazon. In the book, she shares what can happen when we become vulnerable and how God enables us to victoriously overcome. Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace is written as the story of Victoria Grace, a young woman born with a crippling physical disability who experiences betrayal but overcomes and receives the healing only God can give. It's designed with beautiful, full-color pages, and Bible passages are creatively interwoven into the story. Discover how you and your family can use what Jennifer calls the Word-Activated Response Strategy in prayer to defeat Satan's deception and attacks, and receive hope and encouragement in your own fiery trials. Get your copy of Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace now on Amazon. Hey, friends, welcome to the Million Praying Moms podcast. My name is Brooke McLaughlin, and the mission of our time together on this podcast is to help you learn to make prayer the first and best response to the challenges of parenting, a partnership, if you will, between you and the God who loves your children more than you do. Together, we're learning to pray God's word for our children in the areas they need it most. Four years ago, we hosted Chris McKenna of Protect Young Eyes to talk about the top five social media apps our children are using. In that episode, which I'll link to in the show notes, Chris walked us through things we didn't even know existed. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that it has been one of our top episodes. As we move into the holiday season and parents are trying to figure out whether or not to purchase a device of some kind for their children, The time seemed right to touch base on this topic again. And I am delighted to say that Chris is joining us for the next two episodes. Today, we're going to cover the updated research on how social media is affecting our kids. Specifically, we're going to look at it from a post-pandemic perspective and discuss general principles for parents who are talking to their kids about social media, like how they should approach their kids about the topic, what's important for parents to know about the challenges their children are facing in today's social media-driven world, and about how social media works in our children's hearts and minds. Next week, we'll dive into the top five most popular social media apps of 2023 and talk a little bit about what Christy's coming in 2024. If you're a parent desperately trying to understand social media and its effect on your children, these next two episodes are for you. Now, to help you know whether or not the time is right for your child to have a cell phone, we've put together a very simple cell phone checklist that you can download for free. Just head over to the show notes and download your copy. And remember to pick up your prayer guide to accompany this season, Praying God's Word for Your Child to Have Wisdom. In it, you'll find biblical teaching on what the Bible says about choosing to live a life based on God's wisdom and scripture-inspired prayers to help your family choose a life of wisdom over a life of foolishness, know how to make decisions, stand strong in the face of temptations, know which paths to take, and how to understand the life God has called us to live as believers. You can download your digital copy now when you visit today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. After a word from our sponsors, we'll dive into this important conversation. Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Unfortunately, we live in a world where difficulties, abuse, and even betrayal happens on a daily basis. This Bible verse is perfect to pray for your children and yourself. Having walked through her own story of betrayal, Author Jennifer Lynn Heck knows firsthand the importance of this prayer. She writes about it in her book, Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace, available on Amazon. In the book, she shares what can happen when we become vulnerable and how God enables us to victoriously overcome. Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace is written as the story of Victoria Grace, a young woman born with a crippling physical disability who experiences betrayal, but overcomes and receives the healing only God can give. It's designed with beautiful, full-color pages, and Bible passages are creatively interwoven into the story. Discover how you and your family can use what Jennifer calls the Word-Activated Response Strategy in prayer to defeat Satan's deception and attacks, and receive hope and encouragement in your own fiery trials. Get your copy of Walking Victoriously Through a Fiery Furnace now on Amazon. Well, Chris, welcome back to the Million Praying Moms podcast. I actually was looking back in our records and you have been a guest before. You were actually in the first 30 episodes, one of the first, I think you were number 23. I'll go back and verify that and put that in the show notes, but I think you were episode 23. So it's been a hot minute since you were here on the podcast. And I would love it if you would just take a few minutes to tell everybody who you are, what you do, just a little bit about your family. Help us get to know you a little bit better.
1: Oh, uh, that's great. Twenty three. That's you know Michael Jordan's number. So hey, I, there's nothing. I wrong don't with have. That. I don't have the vertical jump that he does, but I'm honored. Whatever number it was, I'm honored. So yeah, Brooke, so a lover of Jesus, dad, husband. I've got four children. Andrea and I have been married for 24, almost, yeah, almost 24 years now. We got married right before Y2K. I remember that. It was like November of 99. We had to get it in before the apocalypse, at least we thought at the time. Four children. I have a freshman in college, and I have three middle school boys. So if you're listening to this, pray for me. (laughs) I'm a former middle school youth director for a large middle school ministry, but I was clueless. Looking back, I was clueless. I had no idea what it actually took to raise middle schoolers until I actually had a whole troop of them. So that's what I am doing outside of work, but I am also the founder of Protect Young Eyes. People can find us at protectyoungeyes.com or anywhere where you spend time on social media. And we want to create safer digital spaces. That's our tagline. Um, But we want to stand in that gap between awesome families that are trying really hard to raise responsible children in the digital age and technologies that simply do not care about the protection of children. They care about children, but for their own selfish purposes. And I want to help parents understand how to navigate the spaces where their children spend time, even if they don't have permission to be there because they're surrounded by friends who spend time there, right? So there's all of this sort of secondhand involvement in a lot of digital spaces. And I want to help parents navigate all of those interactions that their kids are having as well and safely as possible.
0: Yeah. Our purpose for today is to give our parents kind of a social media update. I actually think that the episode that you did for us some time ago is still a great starting place. It, It outlines the five top social media outlets of that time. And I know that they're going to have changed and developed and morphed into other things from our conversation today, but it's not a bad starting place. But I think what has not changed is that discerning parents, the very best parents, like the top of the line, greatest parents that we have out there right now, still feel a little bit clueless as to how to handle social media and how to help their children navigate it. And I actually went back and listened to a little bit of that podcast as I was preparing for this one today. And one of the things that I said then that I think is true now, and it's why this this kind of conversation is so important is that we are beyond the day and time when we can keep social media out of the hands of our children for the foreseeable future. And I'm not saying that they're, that we can't as parents have the authority to, to make them wait until a certain age because we do, but their future is going to include social media. Their future is going to include doing something on the internet or talking to people, meeting people. I have a dear friend that's my age. She's a little bit older than me that met her husband on the internet, like on, on the internet it's This is a way of life. It's the way we do life. And I don't see a time coming when it's not going to be.
1: I would agree with that, whether it's through devices that are being shared freely at school or on the bus or during a practice time um, or just out and about with friends who are here and there. I just think it's really difficult to avoid it altogether. I think we can do some things to delay and keep some of it out as long as possible, but i don't want want any of us to believe the lie that we can prevent all access to these digital spaces. I want us to delay, but I also want us to have children that are prepared, not scared, but prepared with enough digital tools to handle some of the content or some of the features that are going to enter their lives and I just think that's a responsible place for us to be. You can have both. you can both prevent and prepare at the same time. And I hope that's the tension that we can help parents work through as we continue to have this conversation
0: today. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So let's start by talking about the updated research on how social media is affecting our kids today in 2023. And I'd love it if you could specifically talk about maybe the differences before and after the pandemic, because, you know, my children were in the Uh, sixth and ninth grade when COVID started. And so their social media usage then looks very different than it does now. I've got a sophomore in high school and I've got one who's a a freshman in college now. So that's very, it's a very, very different story for me now, but I'd love to know what is the updated research? How is social media impacting our kids today?
1: Yeah. What I think we're seeing now is broader acceptance of the reality that I think a lot of us as parents have known for a long time. So for example, back in May, the um, United States Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, put out something that the Surgeon General's Office doesn't do very often, and that is sort of this warning. It doesn't have any legal standing. It's not enforceable, but it was just an overall warning about something that he is seeing that is impacting humans in the United States, and it was specifically about the harmful effects that he's seeing social media having on the lives of our kids. So what I think you're starting to see, and I'm always careful with this illustration because it's not apples to apples, but you're seeing a similar pattern And this is what happens sort of in all social sort of change, where there's this slow movement of dominoes, right, that need to fall over in order for real change to occur. And and in this case, I think real change shows up in a couple of ways. It shows up with significant financial penalties that I hope eventually are levied upon organizations that don't incorporate some best practices minimum best practices, standards, a framework around protecting children. I think that's the destination we need to head in. And I also believe that we need laws that are reigning in um, certain technologies, both at the state and the federal level. And I'm a little cautious with that because I, like many of your listeners, are not a fan of the government taking over parts of our lives that we feel like we should as responsible humans, to be responsible for, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. But we also live in a time like this. This is where the the argument or the correlation between well, social media is like the new smoking deviates a little bit. Back in the day when people were starting to realize that smoking was a problem, it didn't have it, it, it as an issue. It wasn't intertwined in the lives of children, right? It's different when it pertains to children. So. What we have in the case of social media is we have millions and millions of American and global children who don't have parents for various reasons that aren't caring for them online, which is different than laws that were being made in order to prevent adults from doing certain things. That's where this deviates a little bit. And I think that's what makes it a little more complicated. So I want everyone to hear me very clearly. When I talk about We need laws more than ever because the technologies are more intelligent than ever, including when we first had this conversation, Brooke. It's so that we have what I would call a reasonable amount of friction between minors and these digital spaces that still allow me as an intentional involved adult to make certain decisions that I can consent to, that I can choose to if I'm that kind of involved parent. But in the absence of that kind of involved parent, that there are certain defaults that are dictated either by law or by choice. We need the laws because manufacturers simply aren't choosing to do it. But there are default protections in place for children who don't have the benefit of good, intentional parents that care about their digital well-being. And I would say that that is our gospel imperative, right? Don't we have a responsibility to care for the vulnerable among us? I believe we, as a society, have a responsibility to care for our children collectively in that way. So that's the kind of balance that I'm looking for that I want to make sure everybody hears my my heart on. Right? There's that quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that talks about the you judge a society, and I, I want to get it right here, so I have it up here um, in, in front of me. Um, he he talks about how we can judge here. It is the test of the morality of a society is what it does for its children.
0: Mm,
1: And I believe so strongly, this is what God for this season of my life has designed me to do. I have a ridiculous amount of energy that is directed toward the safety and protection of children, not only because I care for my own, but because I believe the gospel compels us to have that sort of duty of care, when it comes to children. And so that's, what's changed. We have more apps than ever, more devices than ever, more intelligence than ever in, right. We weren't even talking about chat GPT 12 months ago, let alone during podcast number 23 Mm -hmm. and how that is weaving its way in machine learning woven its way into all kinds of digital spaces. That's different. That's a different version of intelligence that, also makes it different than when people say to me, well, Chris, when you were growing up, everybody thought MTV was going to take us all to hell. And that didn't really, well, <laughs> right. I mean, you could we could argue yes. about whether it did or not. Or <laughs> yes. back in the 60s, it was the TV, right? Boomers and adults always have something to complain about that they don't agree with when it comes to teen culture. And you're absolutely right. But our brains and our hearts have never encountered anything with the level of sophistication and intelligence that is being placed in front of little, vulnerable, developing brains today. We're putting 13-year-olds up against the most brilliant software engineers on earth, and we wonder why they stumble. It's because the 13-year-old version of us would have stumbled massively if that was in front of us, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're three years out, two, three years out from the pandemic, which... Caused, I think, a lot of parents to allow their children maybe freer access or more access just from a perspective of the actual amount of time that they spend on their devices or whatever. That season saw parents giving a little bit more of that because we didn't know what else to do. In a sense, you know, for our family, we live on three and a half acres. I live in the mountains. We've got a little bit of land. My children have always, I've always praise God for this. I'm not saying that they don't spend any time on their devices or that they are not prone to do that or don't want to do that. But I've never had to fight my children to spend time outside. They want to be outside and I'm grateful for that. So for us, our children spend a lot of time outside. It doesn't mean that their social media usage or their device usage didn't also go up. But I think what we're finding is that parents made that decision to allow a little bit more freedom there because it was one of the only ways that our kids could connect with their friends. It was one of the only ways that they had of giving them any feeling at all of normalcy in a time that was wildly abnormal. So what are we seeing now two, three years out from that season? What are some of the effects of it? What happened? What's the research telling us the way that it's affected our children?
1: Yeah, what it's telling us is that digital connection is never a healthy long-term surrogate Mm -hmm. for actual connection with other humans, right? It's false, I would say distorted, sometimes distorted, but it's a real false version of what we were designed to be, and that is in physical relationship with each other. That should be no surprise to us. Right, Jesus could have saved us from heaven because he is God, but he didn't. He came to be with us, flesh and blood, right? Carnal here. And I think there's quite a bit to glean from that. He could have texted all of us and said, you're good. Sin is gone. But he didn't. He lived with us and showed us and sweat and bled and did all these things with us. And I think what we're seeing is, you know what? There's a reason why relationships matter. It's because we were created in Trinity relationship and we thrive when we're around in real life with person who care for us. And I think the the data is starting to show that. So every year, for example, the CDC, and I know people have different opinions about that, but set that aside for just a minute. They do a survey called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, and they interview over 17,000 or send a survey out to over 17,000 students. When you look at who they send it to, it's from faith-based, Catholic, Christian, evangelical, public, all kinds of different schools. It's a great cross-section representative sample of teens, grades 9 through 12, and they ask them questions about life. And one of those questions asks them to state yes or no, do you feel consistently and persistently sad and hopeless? And 57% of girls at the end of 2021, so this is a full 18 months into the pandemic, for some still locked down, depending on what state you're in, reported that they had what they characterize as persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, even though I'm guessing that at December 31st, 2021, almost all of them were on more social media than they were 18 months previously. Now, compare that to boys who are up 29%. Now, what do you compare that to? That same question, which they ask every year for girls, was at 36% in 2011. So in 10 years, it had gone from 36% to 57%. And when you look at the slope, it's a pretty significant slope line. And so what we're also seeing is that when they ask these kinds of questions, be it around feelings of depression, or suicide ideation, which is another question, young ladies, teen girls almost always report lower life satisfaction when they're also high users of social media than young men. Now, this doesn't mean that boys aren't impacted, but I think what that should tell us are things that we all know who have worked with teens, both boys and girls, is that we are created differently and we absorb the world and stimuli differently. And that's a very good thing. And it also shows us, I think, that young ladies, they mature relationally faster than young men. And we know that, right? And what that means is they are sensitive to relationships and friends and how they're perceived sooner than young men. And I think social media just exasperates some of those comparisons where you're constantly seeing how others are interacting. You're constantly seeing in stories what people are and aren't doing or what you are and aren't involved in. You're constantly seeing in SnapMap where all your friends are that you aren't, right? You constantly are bombarded as a young person with information about your friends that on one hand you go, that's great. I know what's going on. On the other hand, It is extremely overwhelming to know everything about everybody all the time because that causes you to compare their everything to your sometimes mundane reality. And of course, you don't measure up. The digital version of all of our lives looks squeaky and beautiful and clean and rainbows and unicorns. And we all know that it's not all pedicures, toes by the pool, spring break, like our feeds often show, right? And that I think is a much heavier weight for young teen girls to bear than it is young men who just kind of go, yeah, whatever. And they right? so it's just a whole different mindset. So I-, I think that we're seeing more kids using it, more feelings of hopelessness. As a result, for some, not all, and I don't want to paint this woe is me, everybody picture. And that's what makes it so darn complicated, Brooke, is I can't tell you if I drop 10 teams, five girls and five boys into excessive use of Instagram and Snapchat, which are going to be the ones that are going to be negatively impacted by the features inside of those apps. That's what makes it so difficult to parent in because what we don't have is... You know, millions of data points or the right research that's been done yet to isolate the variables that each of those 10 teens bring in, be it parenting style experiences and the abuse they've received, whatever it is, and how those life experiences impact social media so that we could predict we don't have any of that. And so it's like dropping our young people into this digital soup where they're, they're the meat, right? And they're soaking up these spices. And some kids soak it up and it's just sort of no big deal. Other kids soak it up and it soaks into their heart and they just don't know how to process it. And it's just too much. And it's just so difficult to predict who are going to be the ones. And that's where I'm pointing to some big things. We can predict that there is a greater chance that young ladies are going to be more impacted by the comparative nature of social media than young men. We can predict that young people who have experienced some kind of, they refer to them as ACEs, these adverse life experiences, right? Whether it's abuse, trauma of some kind, that bringing that into social media creates a greater likelihood that some of who they are can be weaponized, whether it's through comparison or through reaching out to others to look for affirmation because they haven't received that or that has been abused with adults in their life. So those are some of the things that we're starting to see that by putting more of them inside of those digital spaces during the pandemic only affirmed those sort of things. That yes, that is absolutely true.
0: Yeah. I think that's such a great point. I've seen some research and I'm sure you're familiar with it. I don't, it's actually, it's not research. It's an organization that I believe their slogan is wait till eight, like wait until the eighth grade, something yeah, like that.
1: Bro- wait until eighth. grade. Yeah. great. I know them well.
0: Okay. I figured you would because you're so in the know about all of this, but I think that's great for us to have a goal, right? Like The research, what we know about the development of our kids' brains and their social skills and their emotional skills and and that all of their development says this might be a good time to uh, at least wait until this time. Don't do it before then. However, what you're really saying, Chris, how I'm receiving what you're saying is that parents need to know their kids. You could say we're going to wait until the eighth grade, but it might still not be the right time for your child to get social media because you know what your child has been through. You know their strengths and weaknesses. Kids in the eighth grade, here's what I know about the eighth grade is that eighth graders are wildly different. There are some really mature eighth graders. There are some really, really immature eighth graders. And so I think it's good for us to say, this is when we can shoot for, because it gives us something to hang on to. And and for those kids who are really struggling with wanting it, it gives them an end in sight or something to work towards, which is good for them. But what we really have to do as parents is understand how this stuff works and also understand our own children. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I know Brooke and her team well, and speak very highly of them, love what they do. They've even changed their Position, they've segregated smartphone age from social media age. Gotcha. They used to have those things together. Up, mm-hmm. But now they say smartphone eighth grade, social media age 16. And we say social media age 16. I don't want any algorithms in junior high. Therefore, I don't want smartphones in junior high at all. Trust me when I tell you, and I may have said this when we first had our podcast. As a former middle school pastor who still to this day loves junior high, I'm teaching our eighth grade confirmation class at church right now. I can tell you one thing with certainty, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade has enough drama. It doesn't need any help from what are honestly godlike algorithms trying to interfere with their decision-making and provide all kinds of the illustration I often use, and this goes well into high school also, is you know, when you and I were growing up, we all as humans go through four primary phases of self-development, right? Different versions of us come online depending on our age. We start off with our bodies because that's all we have. So our body tries to make sense of the world and we're cared for by others around us physically through hugs and cuddles and snuggles. And that's what helps our self feel safe and secure. That's all we have. Then comes our emotions where we learn to smile as an infant. And you are desperately, as a young person, smiling at those around you. Watch it. And what happens, I believe we're created this way, is God created humans to smile back at babies. You could be a convicted criminal, mean to everybody, and you still feel this overwhelming compulsion to smile at a baby. Because I believe we're designed to give them emotional affirmation back that their self is okay, this identity that they're seeking. Then comes their language and kids jibber jabber with us. And we shower our children with language, even though they don't understand most of it, we're programmed to do that because that's where they are. And then we start to ask questions about purpose, who we are, where we belong in the world. Now for you and I, we're close enough in age to know that that was mostly back in the eighties and the nineties, maybe church group, community, neighbors, close family, some TV, we we did have MTV and the like, but the mirrors that were reflecting back to us, answers to life's deepest questions were few, right? There were few of them and a decent percentage of them cared about us. Now translate that into what young people are forced to handle today right? Through the mirrors of TikTok and YouTube and influencers and Snapchat and all of them, right? We have put 10,000, maybe a million mirrors and opinions and distorted thoughts and ideas in front of our amazing tween and teen boys and girls. And we wonder why they're confused. During the most critical identity shaping time of their entire existence, We put a million people in front of them who don't care about their existence and only care about growing their own following. And we wonder why they're confused about a whole assortment of issues, their identity, their gender, all kinds of things, right? You put that kind of set of options in front of anybody during that phase of life, and it's going to mess with them. So again, contributing to that complexity, therefore knowing your child knowing their vulnerabilities Totally in support of what you just said. We need to make sure that no matter when we wait until, which I hope we do, that we're still vigilant, we're still caring, we're still intentional, we're still connected relationally with them, we're curious and not condemning with them. We hand them a smartphone with fear and trembling, knowing that our child still needs us to be lovingly involved, not with the device that's theirs, but. Actually, when we give it to them, it's still ours. Parents, hear me on that. That's a principle that we teach. that parent-led device ownership, right? Even though you're giving it to your amazing 14, 15, 16-year-old son or daughter, it still belongs to you and make sure that they know that. That by itself is a wonderful deterrent to all kinds of behavior, but still be lovingly involved.
0: Yeah, we made our son, our oldest son buy his first phone himself. It was a used phone that he saved up his Christmas money and bought and then we still told him it belonged to us. So <laughs> like he had some Other ownership. Double, yeah. yeah, he had some ownership in it, but we were still like, well, I, you know, if you want it, this is what has to happen. But at the same time, we we are still going to take it away if we need to. We're still going to monitor, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't know, maybe we were mean parents, but it's what we felt like we should do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, and that's even if your son or daughter, say, was into hunting and they bought a rifle, Mm -hmm. right? I think even in that case, maybe it's not parent-led ownership, but it's co-ownership. You think of a co-parenting situation, right? So it's at best, if they buy it, it's a Mm co-owned, But if parents are the ones who have purchased it, I think it's parent-led. So you're not mean at all. Well done.
0: (laughs) Good. Good. I'm glad to know that. All right. So for everybody listening, we are going to get into the top five social media platforms that our kids are dealing with today and give you a very clear understanding. You're going to leave with a very clear understanding of what they are, how they work, and just really have a a broad understanding of what you need to know and how you can help your children with those things. But before we get to that, I felt like it was really important to lay some foundation and have this better understanding of what it is, how it's developed, and, and just to understand why this is even an important conversation. So before we get into those top five social media platforms, Chris, answer us this question. As parents are trying to bridge the gap for parents who maybe are telling their children, you can't have this yet. And they're getting the backlash from that. In our case, we did delay our son, our oldest son and our younger son. We delayed them getting access even to the phone, not just social media. We did delay that as well, but even just getting a phone, they were one of the last ones in their friend groups to get access to a a cell phone. And it was hard on them in some ways. Because all their friends were talking to each other and they weren't, you know, they were being left out of certain things because of our decision to delay this particular item in their lives. And so for the parent that really is discerning and is hearing everything that you're saying and is taking it seriously, this is serious. We need to take this seriously. Give us some tips for how to talk to our children about this idea of delaying or how to help their hearts understand it. They may not agree with us, but at least so that it maintains relationship there between parent and child.
1: I think the number one thing that we could do a better job of is to engage the parents of those children that we want our kids to be in touch with. I think in 2023, we are a lot more siloed as adults from other adults around us, unless we're Connected via some travel sports team or something. But I want us to be very connected to the adults that are connected to the friends, you know, who are the friends of our kids and have this exact same conversation with them. I watched this happen with my own daughter. And so we decided to have that conversation. She's 18 now, right? So this was before Gab or Pinwheel or anything really existed, right? And there were, you know, kids who were starting to get smartphones. And we decided as a friend group that we were going to encourage the girls to start a group text, old school text through SMS that was going to help keep them connected because that's all that Lauren had. She didn't have Snapchat. She didn't have any social media. She got Instagram when she turned 15. It was three years ago. Then she got Snapchat when she turned 17. But that was because we intentionally reached out to parents of these two really good friends that she had. And talked openly about what we hoped in terms of the girls staying connected with each other. So I don't know what that looks like. And I don't pretend to think that that's easy or possible in every situation. But just as a principle, I think most parents would agree that they want their kids to stay in touch with each other. And most parents are going to be open to having that conversation as to what that can look like. So that would be the first thing I would say. When it comes to your kids... You know, there are always going to be kids who are going to feel left out by that, but we have to weigh the risk. This is where, to me, most things in parenting or professionally are all based on risk and probability. That's because for 12 years, I was a risk manager for Ernst & Young. That was my job. And when I'm looking at childhood, when I look at probability and risk in certain digital spaces, again, knowing your kid, I have to weigh that balance. You could decide as a parent, That the risk of them feeling left out, which equals the probability of your child making a choice that you don't want, outweighs the risk of choices they could make in social media. I want to give parents listening to this that freedom to make that assessment based on what you know about your child. I don't want anybody to feel any shame or guilt if you decide to give your child social media in seventh or eighth grade after you've made that assessment. Why? Because you know your kid, I don't, but I simply want parents to go into it fully knowing and not just handing it to them willy nilly, but fully knowing the risk and the probability based on how well they know their child. So this is me giving a parent a little bit of freedom to press into knowing your child press into knowing the app and all of its features really well press into knowing the friends that they are going to be connected to, because what is the risk that some of those friends could send something? And if you weigh all of that, and the weight of that is less than the harm you believe that they might feel from being left out, then by all means, maybe offer them Instagram as a first step. I would offer Instagram before I would offer Snapchat, because Snapchat really doesn't give a parent any insight into the content that is being shared between kids. And that just makes me neurologically nervous, at least more recently now with Instagram, now kind of getting into some of the top five here, parents can control some of the followers and following. You can block certain content from coming in. If you're not friends with somebody, they can't send you pictures unsolicited, things like that. So there's a little more insight into the DMing that goes on. So that's, that's what I want to invite parents into is to treat this decision with fear and trembling, not an unhealthy, anxious, keep me up at night fear, but an appreciation for what decision you're making so that you do the research, you understand your kid, and then you sit down and lay this all out in front of your child. If you're going to make that choice, put it all out in front of them, tell them what your apprehensions are, tell them what it's going to look like, tell them how you're going to be involved, tell them that the consequence for these kinds of choices is this, but if not, you can keep using it so they know very clearly, don't surprise them with punishment when it comes to how they use their digital devices. Because they will screw up eventually, but just as long as they know what that screwing up equals long before they get there, these are some of the things that are healthy as you enter that decision.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for hanging out with me today, friends. Don't forget to get your copy of our new prayer guide, Praying God's Word for Your Child to Have Wisdom. You can find it and more about Chris McKenna and Protect Young Eyes now in the show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Till next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Million Praying Moms podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Go check them out.